0: Some of the worst accidents in history have occurred because of human error rather than machine error. But how many times do you read about human beings being punished for their mistakes? After losing their loved ones, families expect that the one responsible is held accountable for his mistakes. But that's the ideal way justice can be served. A father had to go through something similar after losing his entire family. To an aviation accident in 2002 all he wanted was to know the one responsible for the death of his wife and two children and soon he had a name and with one goal in his mind he reached out to the one to blame for the accident to hear the word sorry from his mouth but rather than the story ending on a happy note the father decided to take justice in his own hands and avenge the death of his family by murdering the traffic control officer named Peter Nielsen. Now the story that I have today does not Belonged to a clear area. On one end, I have someone who had to go through the death of three family members at the same time, whom he loved deeply. On the other hand, I have another family man who was responsible for directing flights and was just present in the wrong place at the wrong time on the day of the accident. As you will hear the story, you can decide whose side you want to choose. For now, Let's go back to the day of the horrible accident. Hi, I'm Dani, and this week we are going all the way to Eastern Europe. On 1st July 2002, a Bashkirian Airlines flight took off from Moscow Domojedovo Airport at 6.48pm Universal Time. Sometime before this flight took off from Moscow, a cargo THL flight departed from Bahrain to go to Belgium with a layover in Italy. The pilots flying both airplanes were experienced, with at least 8,000 flight hours on them. The DHL flight was equipped with two flight crew members, whereas the Bashkirian Airline flight was carrying 60 passengers, including 44 children from the ages of 8 to 18, who were on a trip to visit local UNESCO sites in Catalonia. On the same flight, a family of three were on the trip to meet their father Vitaly Kaloyev Kaloyev was born on 15 January 1956 in North Ossetia. Being born into the family of teachers and having two older brothers and sisters, he was always surrounded by books, which made him interested in reading about epic stories of his country. He proved to be great with his studies throughout his school, and proved his abilities by choosing architecture as his preferred field and serving in the army. Vitaly always focused on his education and having a successful career as an architect before having a family and once he found his wife he knew he had everything now. Vitaly met his wife Svetlana Gorgievskaya at a bank where she worked as a director and so, in the winter of 1991, they got married and had a son named Constantine and a daughter, Diana, in 1998. In the summer of 2002, Vitali got a contract for building houses in Spain, because of which he couldn't be with his family for nine months. So, his wife and her kids arranged to meet Vitaly in Barcelona and managed to get the tickets for the flight on 1st July at the last moment and checked in, excited to meet Vitali soon. So, on the flight, along with the students, Vitali's wife, Svetlana, and their children, Constantine and Diana, were also present, who were excited about meeting their father after a long time. The Bashkirian flight was never supposed to take off on 1st July. The passenger of this flight had missed their previous flight, the actual flight in which they were supposed to reach Barcelona, but they never made it. The reports are not clear as to who arranged a chartered flight, whether it was the airlines who provided them with new tickets, whether the school arranged it, or someone else did, but all of them managed to get a seat on the new flight, the Bashkirian flight. According to Vitani, since his family had missed their original flight it felt as if it started a stream of bad omens which according to him resulted in this dreadful accident another such omen happened right before the flight took off from moscow before they boarded the flight little diana who was six years old got lost in the terminal by the time they found her the boarding was closed but they still somehow managed to get on the flight. And this wasn't it. As the flight was on the runway, the crew realized they forgot to onboard food for everyone, and so they had to turn around, which resulted in a 15-minute delay. Finally, at 6.48 PM universal time, the flight was in the air. The Bashkirian flight entered German airspace at 9:30 p.m. Universal Time, at 36,000 feet, while the DHL flight entered the airspace at 9:20 p.m. Once the flights entered Germany, the airspace was controlled by a Swiss Federal Airspace Control named Skyguide. That night, a single controller was handling the airspace within the air traffic control sector in Zurich. A danish phone controller named Peter Nielsen. There is not a lot of information about Peter Nielsen's life before he became an air traffic controller or whether this was his first job for Skyguide. What we know is that in the early 2000s, it was easy to qualify for interview at Skyguide. To get a job there, you need to have a specific set of four qualities. First, they should speak at least two foreign languages. Second. Be able to think logically and multitask as required. Third, cope with psychological stress. And fourth, maintain team spirit in a roundabout, a basic set of generic qualities. In the control room, according to the mandate, two people must be present inside the control room, but an overworked Peter Nielsen was handling the control room alone at the night of the accident. At the station, it became a common practice for one of the two controllers to take an overextended stay during the middle of the night shift. So, on the night of the accident, the other controller left the control room at 9.15pm, making Nielsen the only one who was authorized to control the aircraft. As the only controller on duty, Nielsen was responsible for handling multiple aircrafts that were passing through the airspace, including the Bashkirian and DHL flight. However, the workload was too much for Nielsen to handle alone, and he was reportedly experiencing significant stress and fatigue. At around 9.20 pm, as the Bashkirian flight entered the German airspace, Nielsen instructed the DHL flight to climb the flight level of 26,000 feet to 32,000 feet. After confirming the climb, the DHL flight asked permission to climb another 4,000 feet and maintain the flight level at 36,000 for preserving fuel. Nielsen granted the request, and so the DHL flight reached 36,000 feet at exactly one second before 9.30 p.m. Bishkelian flight contacted Nielsen at 9.30 and registered their flight level at 36,000 feet, which Nielsen acknowledged. After both the flights confirmed their positions, Nielsen did not assign either of the flights to change their levels, which simply meant that both flights were now at the same height and on a collision course. Less than a minute before the accident, in the evening at 9.34pm and 42 seconds, Nielsen realized his mistake and contacted Bishkirian flight, to descend at 35,000 feet to avoid a collision with the DHL flight. Bishkirian initiated the descent, but their TCAS instructed them to climb. TCAS is known as the Traffic Collision Avoidance System, which is designed to reduce any kind of mid-air collisions. The DHL flight decided to follow their TCAS when it noticed another flight nearby and instructed DHL to initiate a descent which they followed, but could not inform Nielsen on time, as he was controlling the Bashkirian flight. At the same time, the Bashkirian's TCAS instructed them to climb, but they decided to listen to Nielsen's instruction and continued their descent. As of this moment, both flights were now descending. Unaware of the TCAS's instructions, Nielsen repeated his instruction to Bashkirian flight and gave them the wrong position of DHL flight, which was currently on the left of Bashkirian flight, rather than right. Eight seconds before the collision, the Bashkirian flight realized their actual position as they now had a visual sight of DHL flight coming from the left. In order to avoid the collision, the Bashkirian flight increased their descent rate. Two seconds. Two seconds before the collision, the Bashkirian flight started to respond to their DCES and obey the instruction to climb, and they shift their position from descending to climbing. At 9.35pm and 32 seconds, almost at a right angle at an altitude of 34,890 feet, the DHL flight slices right through the Bashkirian flight, resulting in Bashkirian flight taking the first hit and going down with its wreckage scattered into a wide area and its nose falling vertically. The DHL flight continued to fly for another 7 kilometers despite losing its vertical stability and finally crashed into a wooded area at an angle of 70 degrees. All the passengers and crew from the Bashkirian flight and the two crew members of the DHL flight died on 1st July. 2002, resulting in one of the deadliest air crashes in Swiss history and remains as one of the most tragic accidents in aviation history. On the morning of 2nd July 2002, Vitaly finally found out about the accident and called his brother breaking down into tears. Vitali took the first flight available from Barcelona to Switzerland and reached the scene of the accident as quickly as he could. Considering the seriousness of the accident, police and other officials were out in the field looking for any survivors as quickly as they could. As soon as Vitaly reached the scene, he looked for his family and later joined the police in the search, still hoping that somewhere, somehow, his family survived this horrible disaster. After hours of searching, he found his daughter's shoe and then finally her body, disregarding any hope that Vitali had for his family. His family's funeral took place at their home and thousands of people attended the farewell ceremony. After their death, Vitaly was walking like a broken soul. For him, his family was everything, he knew he would never see them again, but still, every day he could come to the cemetery and sit near the graves of his family members. Vitali wanted someone to take the blame for the accident and someone to admit to the guilt. Since this was a very big accident, multiple newspapers and TV stations were covering the story, which talked about the accident as it progressed during the investigation. It was while reading and taking updates that he found out about the air traffic controller Peter Nielsen. Vitaly just wanted an apology. Someone who took full responsibility and someone who feels guilty for the death of his family, along with other 68 people. In an interview with Arguments and Facts, the head of the Skyguide company, Mr. Alan Rosier, said that it wasn't one thing that led to this accident. There were a series of circumstances which led to the collision. Peter could have called his other team member from the break room since it was possible to contact each other during an emergency via a pager. But according to the reports, both the main and backup telephone networks were disconnected for maintenance. Also, because of the maintenance, the main radar which guides the aircraft did not work either. From the time Peter showed up for his duty till the time of the accident, Peter had not a single clue that there was maintenance work going on, and so the network and radar system were not functioning. When the flights entered airspace, at the same time, an Airbus was about to land, and according to the Skyguide rules, landing the Airbus is a priority task, which resulted in a delay in controlling the other two flights. When Peter noticed the aircrafts, he instructed the Bashkirian flight to start descending and move to another screen to control the DHL flight. Because of this, he could not hear the message coming from Bashkirian flight. I am not sure what the message was about. It could have been to confirm the instruction or it could have been to let Peter know that their TCAS was instructing them to do the complete opposite. Peter again committed a mistake with the flight path and 50 seconds later, both flights disappeared from the radar screens. Another control tower noticed both flights were on a collision path and tried to inform Skyguide Tower, but they were unable to reach through. Both the companies, the Bashkirian Airlines and Skyguide, were heavily involved in lawsuits. The Bashkir Company filed a lawsuit against the Federal Republic of Germany for using the services of a foreign commercial organization and against Skyguide for employee negligence and equipment malfunction. During the investigation, Peter still managed to keep the job and was not held responsible for the accident. The airlines, however, paid each victim a sum of 150,000 Swiss francs. We don't know what Peter's situation was after the accident. Technically, he was responsible for the death of 71 people, a guilt that one won't be able to let go of in their lifetime. Skyguide sent him for psychological rehabilitation, but as far as I read, nothing helped him get any kind of peace. By now, a year had passed. The accident was long forgotten by the general public but not Vitaly. He still looked forward to getting an official apology from Peter. He hoped that after the accident, at least sometime he would meet Peter and get the apology he had long hoped for. But nothing happened. At this point, he was done playing the waiting game. So he decided to go and meet Peter himself, in the summer of 2003. Vitali visited the Skyguide tower and hoped to meet him there. According to the director of Skyguide, Vitali kept asking whether Peter was the one responsible for the accident and requested to meet him again and again. Peter, who was working on the day Vitali visited the office, denied his request to meet him. Rejected, Vitali decided to get all the answers by himself rather than depending on any other source. Peter and his family lived in a wealthy neighborhood of Kloten, a municipality in the canton of Zurich. As few foreigners lived there, neighbors knew where Peter lived and could pinpoint his one-story house with the lawn easily. In the winter of 2004, Peter retired. Vitaly found out about Peter's location and reached the Swiss town of Cloten. Skyguide never posted about Peter's information, nor they named him as the sole culprit of the entire accident. But the Danish and Swiss newspapers were able to identify the name and location of the air traffic controller and broadcasted it everywhere. With a photograph of his family in hand, he knocked on Peter's door and straightened himself when Peter opened the door. He introduced himself to Peter and showed him the photograph of his family, explaining why he was there, speaking in broken German the entire time. As silence drew between them, Vitali anticipated the apology that he had been waiting for for the last two years. But instead of apologizing, Peter asked Vitali to leave his house, pushing him away from the door. The photograph that Vitali had fell on the ground adding fuel to his anger. Vitali stood straight, took a knife out from his pocket and stabbed Peter 12 times. Peter's family was also at the door by this time and were in shock to see Peter lying on the ground in a puddle of blood. Vitali looked at the family and left though I don't know if he ever apologized for his actions. When arrested, Vitaly did not confess nor deny the accusations against him. He stated that his mind was clouded with numerous thoughts and he didn't remember anything about that specific day. Nonetheless, the court found him guilty of Peto's death and sentenced him to eight years in prison. Vitaly became quite popular among the public. Since the murder happened in Switzerland, he was serving his prison sentence there. But in his home country, the people considered him a hero for doing what the law could not do. Rather than waiting for decades to get justice, Vitaly did it in just two years, giving the accident a closure that most people needed. He did receive hundreds of letters from people. It is said that during his time in prison, his letters could be weighed rather than counted by hands, reaching some 20 kg at a point. The court let Vitali go back to his country two years earlier because of his good behavior, finally serving six years in prison. And the letters? Vitali made sure to take back every single one of them. He was treated as a hero back home. Because of his bravery, which I don't know if we can call it that, he was appointed as Minister of Construction and Architecture in the Republic of Northern Ossetia and managed to stay as the minister till 2016. It is not clear how many elections he contested or how many of them he was a part of. But whatever it was, he had lived his life with no regrets. Once the news of the accident broke into Western countries, they were quick to point out multiple parties responsible for the accident. In an article, it was clearly stated that Skyguide continuously denied their responsibility for the accident, rather blaming it on the Russian pilots and their poor knowledge of the English language. Once the black boxes were investigated, it was made clear Peter was responsible for the accident, but he wasn't the only one to be blamed for it. Rather than multiple lawsuits between two companies, if they had decided to cooperate and had reached a proper verdict, Peter could have escaped his death. Finally, in 2007, the Swiss government found four of Skyguide's managers guilty and sentenced them to only a year in prison. And one of them only had to pay a fine of 13,500 Swiss francs. In the end, Peter was considered guilty of the accident but the court official stated that he was not the only one responsible for the death of 71 people. Now, I am not sure whatever Vitaly did was right. Could he have waited for the court to do proper justice rather than taking matters in his hand? Maybe. All I can think is that his emotions took over his reasoning and he just decided to go ahead with it. Mind you, Murdering Peter was never his intention. For Peter, maybe the guilt was really strong and maybe that's the reason why he did not come across any of the victim's family members. He knew coming face to face would make him suffer more, more than whatever he was going through then. In the end, the revenge was taken. Another family had to experience the ugliest chapter of their lives as a result of one man closing the worst chapter of his life. want to listen to more such cases, be sure to subscribe to Shades of Macabre wherever you are listening. You can find images related to the cases covered on the podcast on our Instagram at Shades of Macabre. Follow us on social media to receive updates on other episodes and let us know if there's a case you want us to cover. Shades of Macabre will be back next week. Till then, take care and be safe.